0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Yellow Card this weekend. A lot has gone down, especially as far as Manchester United and Liverpool are concerned. But we'll get to that. Why don't we get right into it? Talking about the other team on Merseyside, Everton, who are currently fourth in the table... By gunning down the gunners. Dipen, how are you and what are you, your thoughts on this past weekend's matches? And especially on your beloved
1: Arsenal. Hey Chirag, yet another week goes by and yet another disappointment for Arsenal. Everton's revival has continued uh, to Saturday with a 2-1 win over Arsenal. Arsenal's na- start is now the worst since this 74-75 season. And uh, Mikel Arteta was lost like 13-113. and won 13 from last 34 games in charge. He said his team was still up for the fight. The players are still putting up a fight. And then later on. I think in the press conference he pulled out a bunch of stats about win probabilities. And how they shouldn't have lost the games that they did. And they had nearly uh, 97% chance of winning one of the matches. But eventually didn't end up winning it. But honestly all that is not going to help him with the kind of performances that is that have uh, taken place. And it's another disappointing week for all Arsenal fans. And so, yeah, things are looking very tough for Arsenal.
0: Uh, I actually agree with you. And I think that he's not doing himself any favours by bringing uh, around a list of stats and trying to show that they probably should have won. The only thing that is in his favour is I think he's generally favoured as one of the good young coaches. And a lot of people still believe in him as well as he seems for the time being have the backing of his players. So, that's another important thing that may just keep him in the job for another Couple of weeks, but at the moment, he's he's very honestly probably my favourite to get sacked anytime. I'll be surprised if he goes on much longer unless Arsenal have a major change in fortunes because it's really really abysmal what's going on right now. There's a lot going on on social media, and there was even a meme that Arsenal fans actually celebrated the draw between Brighton and Sheffield because it meant both of them drop points. At the end of the table, because obviously at the moment, Arsenal are way closer to the drop zone than they are to the top of the table, which is where they usually lie. So, absolutely, they need a definite change in fortunes. And honestly, while I respect Arteta in terms of being a good coach, at the moment, I'm not really sure whether he's the man for the job.
1: Yeah, and speaking of stats, there's one very interesting stat that came up just recently, I came across it. So, Arsenal's expected goals in the first uh, 14 matches has been 0. 0.86. And the last time there was a lower average than that was, I think, in the 19 12, 13 season, which was the only time that Arsenal have been relegated from top division football.
0: Well, so, Mr. Arteta, if you're listening, that's a stat for you, which you may not be exactly pleased about. So, <laughs> I think really the yeah. Gunners need to focus on changing things, whether it is bringing back Ozil, like we've spoken about on... Uh, the last couple of weeks in terms of the, the the show over here, I don't know what they have to do, but they really need a change in fortunes and they need it fast. Uh, I think we can move on to the Newcastle, Fulham and Brighton, Sheffield draws. They both played 1-1 one, one draws. Any thoughts about the games over there and how things are panning out for these four sides?
1: Yeah, I mean, Newcastle-Fulham was uh, pretty much evenly contested. It was a scrappy game. But one thing to note was uh, Lukman. Lukman looked very lively for Fulham. And uh, I think barring the controversial penalty that was there, Fulham would have won the game and it would have been an important win for their campaign. But Lukman was definitely looking very vibrant and very uh, attacking. He was creating chances also. I think he hit the post also once. So that that's a plus for Fulham there.
0: I'm actually pretty surprised that uh, Fulham looked the better side. You're 100 over uh, right over there. And uh, honestly, I had them as probably one of the three that would go down. I'm still I still think they they probably would go end up going down, but they're looking a lot more lively. So they're giving themselves a definite chance for sure. And as far as Sheffield and Brighton are concerned, I think Brighton had started off the season looking very promising, but they've really drifted off in the recent past. And I think Sheffield finally got another point. So, nothing is looking very good (laughs) for them. But at least it's not another loss.
1: Yeah, and going down to 10 men in the first half itself didn't really help Sheffield's cause, I think. Uh, there was an early change in the first half. The manager made a substitution and Sheffield were looking like, just had started to look like, you know, they, they could do well in this game. But then they went down to 10 men after that. They still took the lead after that. But then eventually, uh, I think uh, Brighton had enough in them to get that goal back.
0: Absolutely. And again, Chris Wilder, I, uh, the surprising part is I actually think Arteta is more favoured to lose his job than Chris Wilder because... Chris Wilder over the past 3-4 seasons has actually taken Sheffield to where they are today. And I think whether it's the, the board or, or the chairman at Sheffield or the fans or the players, they actually respect Chris Wilder a lot and they're all behind him. So there's a good chance that even if they go down, he may not actually get sacked and maybe entrusted with the job of bringing them back up. Whereas uh, Arteta is on thin ice and, and probably understandably so with these two managers because the clubs in general, in terms of the way they have been placed over the years and their fortunes is obviously very, very different. So, um, I think it is actually looking worse for Arteta than it is for Chris Wilder at the moment. And uh, having said that, again, it wouldn't be a surprise if they choose to make a change. I just don't actually see that happening. Uh, On another note, Chris Wilder, I think, has got his way because much to Klopp's dismay and my dismay as well, (laughs) five five subs have not been allowed. And... uh, I think the Premier League managers, the, the the clubs voted 10 to 10. The stronger clubs or the, the the clubs at the top of the table have not really got their way and uh, will not actually have five substitutes, which again brings me back to the point that probably Premier League's one of the only leagues in Europe, I think, that has that rule. So it's only going to be to the detriment of the top clubs when they go into the Europa League. And... Uh, uh, the Champions League, I understand where the others are coming from But I obviously, being a Liverpool supporter, let me tell you clearly I just don't agree, but there's not much we can do about that
1: Top clubs did not get their way for a change So that's it's okay, it's fair game right now I don't agree Well, for the league, it is fair game It's not fair for the clubs that are going to Europe But for the league, it is much better to have these will so be much more competitive with all the teams on an even keel
0: I will live with it for now, let's
1: just say that <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Then let's move on.
0: Absolutely, moving on. Then I think to the city game. Uh, the city uh, uh, Manchester City scored a goal, and I think they 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 beat Southampton by that one sole goal. If I'm not mistaken, for Sterling, I think, but uh, yes. the problem that Pep Guardiola still has is the fact that they are not scoring goals the way they should. Uh, city are probably known for their most free-flowing football, probably more so than even Liverpool in terms of their fantastic football, their entertaining football and their free-flowing goals. And that's not really happened for them this season. So, Guardiola, I still think, has a fair share of problems because as far as I'm concerned, Manchester City are still far from convincing even though they've taken that 1-0 victory at Southampton.
1: Yeah, and I think Guardiola himself mentioned that they're they're far from finding that touch in the final third of finding that... Goal-scoring prowess in the final, in the when it comes to the final third. So, City have now actually transformed into a team with a solid and stable defense, from one that couldn't stop conceding goals to now the current problem that the one that is not able to score as many as before. But they got the job done. They don't look their best, but they got the job done once again. And uh, Southampton didn't look like they could get a different result out of this. Honestly.
0: I agree with your assessment over there, but it's really ironic to think that (laughs) uh, a team that was actually leaking goals in defence and they needed Ruben Dias to come in and stabilise their defence has now, I think, kept quite a few clean sheets in the last few matches uh, or looked at least a lot more solid in defence and uh, is having trouble in the top half of the pitch where all the major stars are.
1: Yeah, but I think uh, two key personnel missing this season from last. I think uh, Sergio Aguero, of course, due to injury, playing on and off, but uh, missing large parts of the season. And I think uh, they they haven't found a replacement for David Silva. I mean, he was just... The way he used to play was just so key in linking up all the other players around him that he used to make a big impact. So, although he didn't play a major part last season... But the season before that, he was actually right there, prime and centre for them. So, those are the two key, I think, missing elements in their play this year.
0: Absolutely. Moving on then to Burnley against Wolves. Burnley got a rare victory against uh, Wolves, a 2-1 victory against Wolves. And uh, I think, actually, they looked kind of up for it. I don't think that Wolves really looked a side that could have taken, you know, uh, the three points against Burnley. But having said that, uh, uh, Nuno was especially very, very... Angry or very, very irate with the quality of refereeing. And I believe it was Lee Mason, if I'm not mistaken, who was the referee over there. But uh, very, very upset. And uh, although the interviews I've seen, he's not actually pointed out anything specific in terms of what was wrong, but insisted that the quality of refereeing definitely needs to improve. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't get into trouble for his comments because uh, they were really not nice.
1: Yeah, I think there were some scathing comments about the referee there. And I think it was more or less, I think it's a personal feud between the two of them or maybe in the past something has happened. And I I can, I can, have a quote here from... Uh, Espírito Santo saying I just don't want to see him more I I told him I hope he does not whistle a game of us again he cannot control the players the players are constantly arguing the other referees let the game flow I, I, it is quite inexplicable for a manager to come out like this against uh, and nothing Particularly off-note happened. Uh, There wasn't any controversial moment per se in that match. But uh, in fact, there were a couple that went in favour of uh, Wolves. There I think Jao Moutinho could have been easily sent off there towards the end. But he wasn't. And so, I really don't know where that's coming from actually. Well,
0: only Nuno can answer those questions.
1: It's good for Burnley actually. They extend their unbeaten run to now what, four games. It moves them up to 16th spot with 13 points. Only one point behind... Arsenal. With a game in hand. I'm glad you brought
0: that up and I didn't need to. (laughs) Moving on then to the next match, let's talk about uh, Sam Allardyce's best prom. It was uh, not such a pretty return or a thorny return to the hot ones, let's say, for (laughs) Sam Allardyce. Villa, I think, looked good value. They they took down 10-man best prom. It was quite honestly a sheer moment of madness from their captain, I think, who actually went in on a fairly bad tackle to Jack Grealish. So uh, rather uncalled for, I think they were already one nil down at that moment and uh, really didn't look like, you know, too much changing post the first half uh, once they went down to 10 men. So uh, not really much for from a positive note for Sam Allardyce to look forward to, although I'm sure that now he's going to try and bring about change. But like I said, I, I would still have them favourites to be uh, uh, going down right after or right behind Sheffield United, shall we say.
1: Yeah, not a good start for Sam Allardyce at all. I mean, West Brom conceding the goal just in the fifth minute and then later, off, later on in the half going down to 10 men, I think, wouldn't have expected a worse start than that. But a dominating performance from Aston Villa, I think extremely attacking, entertaining football. They could have had more goals, I think, than the three that they had. And uh, ju- just when we talk about Jack Grealish... I think near the 87th minute or so, there was a free kick in the defensive half for Aston Villa. Jack Grealish ran all the way back, took the free kick shot, then drove forward with the ball and ended up creating a chance at the other end. And when they were already 3-0 up, so that is some energy and some motivation and some hunger for... Jack Grealish on display there.
0: No, absolutely. And I mean, I'm not going to talk too much about VAR, but there were a few incidents where the offsides were absolutely ridiculous to believe. And I'm not sure whether it was in the Aston Villa match, but I think Ollie Watkins also, it was barely an offside. And I think the, the if you look at it, where the, the, the studs were in or the shoes were actually in line, and it was the knee that was offset. I, I don't get these rules. I don't understand it because you, you you can't actually go and check every part of the body. I mean, even if you're saying that this is factual, but it, it, there were two or three such calls this week as well. And I'm not saying that it's not factual, but you can't actually go say, hey, both studs were in line, but one knee was not or one palm of oh, the hand was not, I don't actually get this. And and it's it's becoming very, very tedious.
1: If players are offside for an armpit, then they're definitely offside for a knee.
0: Well, <laughs> not much can be said about that. Uh, there's more good news in London though because Chelsea looked completely the part against their London rivals West Ham and they downed them 3-0. Much to my dissatisfaction, Giroud was on the bench, so nothing happened over there. (laughs) The good news is that Tammy actually started and got a brace for them. They are looking good and continue to do so.
1: Yeah, so if Giroud is there, Giroud scores. If Abraham is there, Abraham scores. So, no matter who you play in that position, they are going to score. As long as the name isn't Timo Werner, they'll end up scoring.
0: That's actually a very good point you bring up there because based on his form for Leipzig last year, One would have thought that he'd hit the ground running, which I don't think, from an attacking point of view, I think a lot is still to come from Chelsea. So other teams, beware, because... I don't think Timo Werner has managed to hit the ground running. He's still a far cry away away from his best. The same can be said for Kai Havertz. Ziyech, whenever he's on, looks really good, but he's been injured for the most part. So I think that's a lot of where where they spent their money on the top half of the pitch. And I don't think these three are remotely even have shown 50% of what they're capable of. So once they actually settle in, this is going to be a scary looking Chelsea side.
1: Yeah, definitely, especially when the defense is coming so good. I mean, they're managing to keep. I, Mendy has managed to keep more clean sheets than I think uh, all the other top goalkeepers. So, and despite missing the first four or five matches, that also. So that defense is really coming together.
0: Absolutely, things looking good. And and Lampard even said that he was actually impressed by the way Thiago's come in, Thiago Silva, and managed the defense. He's impressed with the way he prepares for each match, and even at the age of thirty six, is doing such a good job. In terms of recovery, in terms of preparation for each match, and the way he just deals with situations, even though he had not been part of the Premier League before, and uh, uh, no disrespect, but used to play a straight in France.
1: Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, with all the experience that he has, that's something that he can definitely use that for. I mean, with age comes ex- wisdom, I guess.
0: Yep. Now, the last three matches to talk about. Why don't we start with majestic Manchester United, who down leads six. Two, uh, I think they were home and it was quite a performance and Scott McTominay coming really, really good, scoring two goals in the first three minutes and some some cracking goals to say the least. So, United looked really, really good, looked dangerous. Scott McTominay looked really good himself. Bruno Fernandes came on, I mean, not came on, he started, but Bruno Fernandes scored after that. So, all in all, I think a sublime United effort, a lot for... Solskjaer to be proud of and they, I think they're in the top four. I think they're third now with the game in hand. And if they actually win that game in hand, then uh, they're going to be two points off the league leaders Liverpool. So, who would have thought that after the top st- topsy-turvy start to the season and them being literally pushed out or thrown out of the Champions League?
1: Yeah, definitely. They're they definitely in a very good position that, uh, right now and the kind of performance will just give confidence to the whole team that this is the kind of performance that they were actually lacking because they've not dominated a game like this ever. And although Leeds did not give up, they were relentless. They were coming, counter-attacking all the time right till the end. I, I remember watching the game and the commentator when they were 4-1 down saying... You know, if you're watching the game, you won't be able to tell who's 4-1 down and who's 4-1 up because the game was that open. And Leeds, all credit to Bielsa and Leeds because they, they didn't even for a minute drop their game or feel dejected at the kind of goals they were conceding. And all credit to Manchester United. That for first three minutes with two goals from McTominay just really... Pumped them up, set them up nicely and they broke away from their usual pattern which was good to watch also. Uh, so, fantastic game actually. Very entertaining to watch.
0: Absolutely. They couldn't let Mr. Bielsa sit on his spot and drink his cup of coffee. He was pacing <laughs> up and down from the start. So, it wasn't a very nice uh, start uh, uh, at Old Trafford for, for Bielsa and I actually heard one of the commentators or one of the TV presenters actually say I don't think any side has scored six goals against Bielsa since 1992
1: But they've, they've probably conceded like three or four multiple times this season so I mean it's not that big a surprise them conceding so many goals though.
0: I would agree because they play a very open game so yeah, absolutely exactly. absolutely
1: I think there was a quote from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also that uh, they had to earn the right by running as much as Leeds did. And that was a challenge and it could have been, it was the kind of game where it could have been 12-4 or 6-6 or, you know, any result as such would have been possible. But uh, yeah, Manchester United did extremely well.
0: Absolutely. And I think it was without Paul
1: Pogba, was it? <laughs> uh, yes, without Paul Pogba. And without Cavani also. Cavani came on quite at uh, quite late. Absolutely. But I wish
0: Cavani had started. I think (laughs) they justified by keeping Pogba on the back.
1: (laughs) Let's move on. Which is the next game, Chirag, that you want to talk about?
0: Well, unfortunately, I think the Spurs (laughs) coach is finally losing it. I don't (laughs) understand what he's doing. Spurs, I'm sorry, sir. I have the deepest respect for Jose Mourinho. But at no point in time were Spurs... In control of that football match. Uh, it, it was completely different from my view of them not having possession against Liverpool. I still thought that was a lot more evenly contested, even though the stats or the possession would state otherwise. Over here against Brendan Rogers Leicester side, I think Brendan Rogers and his side did a proper number on Spurs. They weren't in control at all and his comments at the end were really surprising when he says, look, it it may seem like we were not in control, but that's not the case at all. And he said something similar to that effect. I don't remember the exact words, but I'm sorry. At no point in time did Spurs look like they were remotely in control. I don't understand. He certainly doesn't look like he's going to win the league or be right up there if he keeps on continuing this counter-attacking football of his. And there is obviously, again, no point in bringing bail for that kind of money and keeping him warming the bench in these games. You need to start the man. I mean, the only way he's going to get fit is by playing matches now. So, no, I agree that he's probably not fit yet or not. When I say not fit, not his, not his usual self, not his fittest best. But the only way he can even come close to getting there is by playing him from the start So he, maybe play him 60 minutes and see what happens and take him off if needed. But the idea is, any Spurs fan, when you hear, heard Bale was coming, was always looking forward to the kane Son, bale trio. And Kane and Son have hit the ground running this season. Bale, no, he hasn't. But I also feel he's not been put in enough.
1: Yeah, he's probably not been put in enough uh, for sure. But then that's the game plan, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to expect defensive work from Bale, are you? And That's just not going to happen, or is it?
0: Well, I agree with you over there. But that's where he needs to actually change his game plan a bit. Because if he was always going to do this, I don't see the point of spending so much money on Bale. Because even if they're paying just half of Bale's wages... That, I think, is another 300,000 quid a week, if I'm not mistaken, just half of the wages. Then, having him on the bench in such important matches just doesn't make sense to me. And again, they can't just play on the counter all season and expect it to work game after game. Because I do think it worked to a great extent against Liverpool, but they looked ordinary against Leicester. And I'm sorry, uh, I don't agree with his comments at all. I also think his comments, you know... With respect to Klopp and what he said, were completely unjustified, and that's not me being biased. Neither me nor Klopp nor Liverpool control FIFA, so we can't control who's the who's going to be the best coach of the year or not. I think Hansi Flick did deserve it, in my opinion, as well. But that is, and Klopp, out of his own admission, said he was surprised. But you know what? None of us are on the panel, so you can't go attacking a, a, another a coach or another manager. Uh, lashing out at him for no reason—that that's just absolutely uncalled for. So I, I don't—I I think uh, Mourinho is slightly losing it, and over here you can clearly see that now my loyalty is definitely high live <laughs> with Liverpool.
1: I was just about to say that it took one encounter between Liverpool and Tottenham for for a loyalty to come firmly back to like a magnetic pull back to Liverpool there. <laughs> So let's, let since we've already spoken about Liverpool and that's the game that we have to talk about now, this was the start of the game week and what a bang of a start that was.
0: I agree and before I go on a much, much welcome rant from my side, I would like to know your thoughts on the game debate.
1: Well, it was a fantastic, fantastic performance by Liverpool. A seven goal victory. With some sublime finishing. It's an absolutely ruthless performance. And I think if you would have told uh, the Liverpool players, you know what, play for 10 more minutes, they wouldn't have stopped. They would have gone on. It's not like they they were happy with the 4 goals or 5 goals. They wanted the 6th, the 7th. And if you would have given them eight, 10 more minutes, they would have gone for the 8th and gone for the ninth as well. They were that ruthless. But uh, I think the main talking point out of the game, despite all of this, was not the football. It was who started and who came in as a substitute and at what point. That was the main talking point for me. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chirak?
0: Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Let's start (laughs) with what, what happened. Actually, it was really bad timing for the Salah interview to come to light. He actually said that he was very, very disappointed with the fact that he did not captain the, the side against Michelin and it was Alexander-Arnold. I think at the end of the day, he needs to understand that it is a managerial decision. And while he said that he would respect that, then he shouldn't really be too disappointed. Understand that Alexander-Arnold is a scouser through and through. He's been playing for the club since literally from the age of four, five or six. He's He, he is from Liverpool. I, I don't think that Salah should take that too personally and it's sad that he did because uh, you have to see who's captaining the side and, and and at the end of the day, like I said, it's a, it's a manager's call. This shouldn't really be taken personally and he actually left the door open for his future by saying that his future is in Liverpool's hands and I think actually he's wanted by PSG, Madrid and Barcelona's. So so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over there now. And uh, Salah did not start the game, whether that was just to rest him or whether that was uh, a message from the manager saying, Hey, look, I'm the boss over here. I, I don't really know. What also transpired is, I think, in the 54th minute around or around that time, he money was then substituted and called off. A very unhappy money after an assist and a goal. And Salah was brought on. And actually, one of the commentators said that Salah actually started warming up even before Klopp told him to. It's going to be interesting to see who actually pulls the strings and how much of of pressure Salah can actually put on Klopp to start him each game. Because obviously, he wants to... Play each game and wants to continue scoring more goals because he'll also have a chance for the golden boot. It's going to be very interesting. Having said that, I mean when we when we focus on the game, seven goals. Minamino started, justified his place in the starting lineup very very fast. I think within the first three minutes, it was what two and a half minutes that he scored, and a good goal at that. He actually played a dummy and then shot. It was a nice goal, clean finish. A uh, lot to look forward to. Uh, then. Mane scored a wonderful, again, a very, very nice turn and and, and a goal. And uh, before halftime, right before halftime, Liverpool on the counter. And I think it was, it was uh, Firmino to Robertson. And then Robertson actually played it back in. And Firmino, wonderful, wonderful sublime first touch and made a, a really easy poke into the net. And there you have it in the first half. Three goals and all three strikers on the score sheet. Liverpool can't ask for a better first half and, honestly, Palace didn't play badly. So, a 3-0 for Liverpool was not actually a good reflection of how Palace played. It was just Liverpool with some sublime finishing and making all their chances count. On the other hand, the second half, yes, Liverpool looked a lot, lot more dominating. Henderson, oh my God, what a goal. That was something. It was just, just amazing. To see Henderson on that, it was, was, again, a nice setup. It was Keita to Alexander-Arnold, I think. And Alexander-Arnold ting it up there perfectly for Henderson. Even Klopp's reaction to Henderson's goal was sublime. There you go, Liverpool, four up. Time to make that substitution. On comes Salah. And and I was a little upset that he didn't start. I had him in my fantasy team as the captain. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? What happens is he comes on, he assists one and scores two. And again, sublime goals. And wow, wow what a performance. It was good to see Oxlade-Chamberlain back from injury. He also assisted in one goal. There were seven goals. Uh, Two important stats over here were the last time Liverpool won by a seven goal margin I believe was in 1896 and this is the first time that you've had seven different assist makers I should say for seven different goals. In, in the Premier League, if I'm not mistaken.
1: So, I think someone asked Klopp about the other one where Liverpool haven't won by a seven-gold margin since such a long time. And he said, I don't know. I know that it's never happened since I'm here, but I didn't know if it's ever happened before or not happened before. Yeah. But
0: uh, I think it dates back to around 1896. At least that's what, when, when I was watching, that's what was displayed. All in all, a smashing victory, a wonderful weekend for any Scouser fan and come christmas liverpool sit on top of the tree Wouldn't ask for a better christmas gift uh, i actually have nothing else to add i am very very happy flying high as you can see the paint so it's it's all good over here the everything in the world looks pretty to me mercy is on top so we can call it a night over here thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll see you on the other side of the boxing day weekend thank you all good night cheers everyone
1: cheers I want out, know.